and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and we thank you for joining us. Now in the studio with us today, yes, it's your favorite gear, Brent. We like him much more than his brother. It's James. And down the line, the main man in Manchester, Paul Hurst. Later on, we'll be joined by Martin Ziegler to discuss the latest dramatic developments in European Super League plans, as well as talking through potential weaknesses in the Liverpool machine. Surely there aren't any. But we start in Manchester, where City and United clash in the derby at the Etihad on Sunday. The champions are nine points ahead of Jose Mourinho's men in the Premier League. Uh, James, you were at the Etihad to see City score six for the second time in four days as they smashed uh, Shakhtar Donetsk in the Champions League. Do they look like a team that could go all the way? I think so. Yeah, I, th- I think City look look like a real a real juggernaut at the moment. To be honest, um, maybe because they've had a few more bad results this season than they had at this stage last season. But I think actually they're playing probably better, in my opinion. I think defensively they're a lot more solid. I, I feel with Stones and Laporte now now really bedded in as as that first choice centre back pairing, and then they're giving up. I think much fewer chances from from what I've seen, and I think they're actually a better attacking team as well. And I think that's that's borne out if you look at the underlying numbers. Their expected goals per game are better. They're taking more shots per game. We sort of did a little predictions grid ahead of the Champions League, and I picked City as my winners. Obviously, they have some frailties. That there's the sort of there's the whole Pep Champions League hoodoo a little bit as well. But I, I still feel quite good about that prediction. I, I think they are playing some of the best football in Europe. I think they're probably the best coach team in Europe. So I, I still think they look really strong. Emphatic win that it was, but uh, controversial as well with the Raheem Sterling penalty incident uh, that was awarded when City were 1-0 up. If you haven't seen it, it, it's in some ways quite hilarious because Sterling basically just kicks the ground, doesn't he? Uh, and there's no contact from the defender. The referee, Victor Kasai, awarded the penalty, though. The big question is, James, should Sterling have owned up? I think he... <laughs> As Pep Guardiola, I think he he could have owned up. I I personally felt Sterling's reaction afterwards, saying you know, apologies to the ref, apologies to Shakhtar. I think he he wishes that he had, but it's very difficult because I guess you only sort of get you only sort of really get one moment to do it, don't you? Sort of after after it's happened, you you can't sort of you know after the referee's made the decision, you can't sort of then a minute later think better of it and then say it's not a penalty. I think as well, it's it's very easy for it. It's easy for us to say, you know, after a six 0 win, yeah, he should have, you know, he should have owned up. But when the game was poised at one nil, you know, what if he had said it's not a penalty, and then say Shakhtar had drawn one one, you know, would we be seeing, you know, selfish Sterling headline? Because then that, you know, their qualification would be in some jeopardy, and you know, would we be seeing selfish Sterling headlines? So I don't know. I don't. I don't judge him too harshly, to be honest. The odd thing here is, I know people are going to have a go at the man behind the goal and whatever, but he was clearly unsighted. Victor Kasai is a really experienced referee. At one point, he was considered to be like the next big thing. I mean, he refereed the UEFA Champions League final in 2011 at Wembley. So back when he was actually still quite young, I mean, that was what, seven years ago? I think we should give a shout out to the people who have turned to referees and said, uh-uh, you know, I wasn't touched. Obviously, Robbie Fowler, Morton V. Korst, um, Paolo Di Cagno was a slightly different situation. It wasn't a penalty. I don't know. I, I think everything happens so quickly that you don't blame him. And I think James makes a really good point, too, that I wonder, had City not lost that Leon game? Because, look, City are going to go through. But there was a possibility where... 
maybe it finishes 1-1, you get one more screw-up, and maybe City finish second in the group, and then they play, they get drawn to play Barcelona, and then they go out. We've seen this stuff happen before, right? I don't know. I, I wanna, I'm willing to give them a pass. I, I know, Hirsty, you feel very differently because I know you're personally offended by Raheem Sterling's general demeanor and buying sausage rolls from Greg's, buying a house for his mom, <laughs> flying on EasyJet, right? I, I, I do sometimes find the scrutiny on, on Sterling just a bit repetitive when it comes to, you know, the aspects of his private life. You know, it's, it's a bit over the top. Um but I, I actually think I think with this one he should have he should have put his hands up. But he said, you know, it wasn't a penalty. City after you know steamrolling Southampton a few days earlier, they're not going to struggle to beat Shakhtar the next coming. So I don't think you know one goal kind of choked off that. That um, you know the result wouldn't have been that bad, would it? You know they, they would have still hammered Shakhtar the next, regardless of whether they would have had that penalty or not. If, if I was him, you know I would have I'd have owned up to it. Um, it would be interesting to see what Pep Guardiola would have said after that, if if that had been the case. I know, you know, I suppose he would argue that he's a kind of paid professional, isn't he? And that's his job to win football matches, and he probably saw that that was that was the way to do it. But personally, if that was me, I would have I would have held my hands up and said, no, it wasn't penalty. Some would say it's it's the referee who makes the decision. So why should a player have to then own up if 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 it wasn't penalty? At the end of the day, it's the referee that's given the penalty. Alison Rudd, by the way, has written about this. She makes a wonderful uh, comparison with uh, uh, somebody who buys a cake at Asda and uh, being complimented on it for his home baking skills. Um, oh, I, I do that all the time. To, leave you to read it. Yes, you love, <laughs> you love deceiving uh, people that way. But what was interesting, just finally on, on that uh, penalty uh, incident, was Pep Guardiola on the, on the touchline, obviously, from however far out he was, could clearly see it wasn't a penalty. He was wagging his finger. He imitated what had actually happened. He couldn't believe that the penalty had been awarded either. Uh, all very um, yeah, farcical for that that one incident but at the end of the day City uh, pick up the win on the field City then continue to entertain but Gab there's a shadow hanging over them uh, namely to do with financial fair play tell us what's going on well this is all part of the, the Football League's revelations which have been published all week in uh, in the German news magazine Der Spiegel and other members of uh, of this sort of um, consortium of magazines in different uh, countries just recapping very quickly for those who don't know, Football Leaks um, is it's a trove of documents. It's more than 70 million documents, which Der Spiegel uh, obtained from a guy who they will only identify as, quote-unquote, John, who is Portuguese, who is living in hiding, according to Der Spiegel. Like, he sleeps in a different house every two days. Where I think it comes into City, and City have said that this is an attempt to, to damage their, their reputation, whether it's a concerted attempt or not. Um, there's different strands of this. One is that City haven't disputed that these documents are authentic, and the documents certainly appear to show that not only did they inflate sponsorships, which we already knew because that's why they were punished in 2014, but also the way it was done and the scale to which it was done. Some of the stuff that many people didn't know about, although there were there were rumors of this, perhaps the most egregious example to me and, and the most obvious re- uh, revelation was the Etihad um, sponsorship, where Etihad, obviously a related party to some degree, but even then Etihad said, well, wait a minute, no, 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 us sponsoring you is only worth this amount, and then it turns up into a much bigger amount, and City and these, these emails purportedly show, or allegedly show City saying, okay, fine, just get, you know, Mansoor to, uh, to go and wire a chunk of money to 
Etihad, and then Etihad will wire it on to us. The big question now going forward is this new to UEFA. UEFA say, have said uh, privately that you know th- most of these documents aren't new and they're a little bit out of context and they already knew about all this before and that's why City were punished. I'm not sure to what degree that's true, in fact. Is there scope to reopen an investigation in this and perhaps apply further punishment? I'm not so sure there is. The other aspect to this is just simply the damage to to City's reputation. You know, all along towards financial fair play, they've had this attitude, well, it's unfair, and but look, we're compliant. I think a lot of people, when they see this, they're like, wait a minute, you did what? To what degree? And I mean, that's what I want to get from you, Hursty, uh, and, and from you, James. You were there last night. I mean, I, City have gone out of their way locally to project a positive image. They've, they've, they've always tried to go and and kind of burnish the reputation this shows a level of a level of, of, of deception which which is pretty craven right i think there's no kind of there's no doubt that they've with the money that's coming since 2008 but that area of, of manchester is a completely different place now there's, there's such a, a, a nicer much nicer place to, to be that you know they've, they've created so many jobs and uh, the the area's completely revamped if this is money just to kind of you know, to, to improve their reputation, if they have, you know, broken rules to, to improve the squad illegally, then, you know, it's, it does cast a really, you know, it's negative cloud over the club uh, at the moment. And I just think if, if you are another football club, particularly a top rival, and you're saying, well, Man City have won so many trophies over the last 10 years, if they've won all these trophies by buying players with money that, that wasn't, supposed to be in their accounts then you know if you're another club you'll be absolutely seething at that um, and I think then everyone is just waiting to see what UEFA does now I think uh, it was interesting we're in in Turin for the for the press conference on, on Tuesday with Jose Mourinho and he didn't buy something he said you know Jose Mourinho you know, the guy who loves to kind of <laughs> dig around and you know create mischief he just he didn't really say anything on it I think he's just kind of waiting to see what UEFA does. And I think if, if UEFA, you know, don't look at this again, I think a lot of clubs will be angry at them for not taking action. I think one of the big things, and we should be clear on this, is financial fair play applies to UEFA competitions. You could make the point Manchester City haven't won any UEFA competitions. So it's not like you need to rewrite the... You don't need to go and rewrite the record books there. They've obviously won things in the Premier League, um, but in the Premier League, while it has its own version of financial fair play, there's not any question that uh, that City have ever broken any rules there because they're just they're just different rules and 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 they apply differently. It's interesting what you say about reputational kind of damage. My personal suspicion, and I, I could be wrong, is that some people will be outraged because they take an interest. Some people will sort of be outraged along tribal lines just because it's city and Matthew Syed wrote. it's yeah. like a you know it's just a, a stick to beat right. them with i think generally it's just a bit too dry to really sort of stir the kind of outrage of the wider football world i think people I could be wrong but my suspicion is that people generally accept that there is vast wealth in football lots of it from oligarchs basically and i was thinking of sponsors though mostly james i mean if if i'm a non-emirati sponsor mm. right and there's so much dirt that is being thrown at city and it sticks to them 
do I want my brand associated with people who, for whatever reason, are, are, are seen or accused of being deceptive and, and, and effectively cheating? Maybe. I, d I don't know so much about sponsors to, to kind of... Fans, I agree with you. I, Fans I, forget very quickly. I, I just think that people accept that there is, you know, obscene wealth in football. And the fact that Sheikh Mansour sort of city appear to effectively paid themselves will not gain a huge amount of traction because people say, well, yeah, Sheikh Mansour is the source of city's wealth. So right. what? Let's let's move on to, to matters in Turin. Paul, you were there for Manchester United's late comeback win over Juventus. Just how big a statement is that victory, do you think? It was a huge win for United. You know, it had all the kind of hallmarks of a, a, a great kind of United victory of old. Really, did it in Fergie time against a, a really, you know, a really strong Juventus team, and you know, they came from behind, defended really kind of strongly in the first half, really resolute, and just nicked it with a couple of goals at the end. I mean, it, it, it was a, it's a really big win. I don't think for a moment that the rest of Europe are going to sit and wake up and think, oh my God, United are going to, United are coming through, you know, Real Madrid or Barcelona won't be kind of quick in their boots after this because it wasn't, a, you know, an enterprising win uh, by any means, but it was big in, in terms of the impact on the group. I mean, if, if United had lost last night, it probably would have gone down to the final match against Valencia and United, three years ago, they had, a, they had that famous night in Wolfsburg, didn't they, where they, you know, they would have gone through if they'd have won that match, but they, they bottled it on the night and it was a just completely dreadful evening. So, you know, it, it could have been another one of those if, if it had all gone down to one match. But, you know, they, they won last night. I mean, they're only two points behind Juventus in, in the group now. And if United beat young boys at home in the next match, which they which they should do, then they'll go through with, with one match to spare. Jose Mourinho kind of made it all about him at the end, didn't he, at the final whistle, sort of mocking the Aventus fans. Um, Gab, does this go back to when he was in charge at Inter? Yeah, no, it obviously does. I, I disagree a little bit with your characterization there. I mean, you know, <laughs> is, he make, is he going out there and saying, like, oh, yes, let me go and steal the lineup and make it all about me? I, I don't oh, think he's so. done that a fair bit, though. But I don't know that it was on this occasion. Yeah, I mean, okay. On this occasion. Obviously, Inter, for those who don't know, Inter won, won the trouble with Mourinho in 2010, came after a couple of years after Juventus were relegated in, a, in an influence peddling um, scandal and they had to give their titles back and whatever. And so there, there's a ton of history there. I mean, you know, Juventus fans really dislike Mourinho even more than the average normal person does. Um, but they've been abusing him the whole game. He lifts his, hang, you know, his, finger, his hand to his ear for what 30 seconds um i don't have i think people are like oh he could have been inciting a riot i mean what riot you know he's on the pitch he does it I, I don't i don't have an issue with it i don't even think it say makes him look too bad leo bonucci went up to him and says no cut that out ash young intervened it was all over within two seconds that was funny he was being let off the pitch like you had some security people and then you saw romero come over and sort of like hulk his way just to make sure <laughs> nobody came anywhere near him, which was, which was, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think we make a big deal about it. I mean, you know, afterwards he said, you know, I thought a draw would have been a fair result. Juve fans might say, actually, Juve deserved to win that given the chance they created in the first half. It's a big win for United and let's move on to the, move on to the weekend. Indeed. And, and given the form that, that City have been in, how will Mourinho approach Sunday's game, James? 
Well, I mean, I think in terms of the pattern of the game, it will be, you know, City will have a lot of possession. Mourinho will set United up to play on the counter, which I, I think he should do. It, it, it's interesting because I think, I mean, I saw the Tottenham Man City game at Wembley and I personally felt that night that Kyle Walker and particularly Benjamin Mondi were quite vulnerable. Mondi got caught a little bit up the pitch on occasion. His positioning looked a bit off. And obviously the players that have been have been really good for, for Manchester United in, in recent games, arguably Rashford, but particularly Anthony Martial, has been excellent. United's record in, in big games under Mourinho is actually quite good. They've, they've, they've won quite a lot of them um, on a sort of individual basis. I think the midfield three that beat City last season was the same that, that played last night, Herrera, Matic, Pogba, and I think that's, that's probably what it, it, it will be. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our stats guru, Bill Edgar, provides us with 11 trivia teasers for you. And here is one for you on this very podcast. Only two players have ever played for Manchester City, Manchester United and Liverpool. A certain Geordie Livingston was one. That was before the First World War. But yeah, That's the one everybody knows. Yeah, of course. A certain yeah. Geordie Livingston. That was just that's guaranteed. Me. We all knew that one. But the question is, who was the other? And we're being kind to you uh, today. We're going to give you a clue. He actually played in the uh, 1980s and 1990s. So who played for City, United and Liverpool? Stick around to the end of the podcast and to find out the answer. I know for a fact that Gearbrett hasn't read ahead to the end. <laughs> so we're going to quiz him in a minute. It was a great Champions League week for three of the four English clubs. But for Liverpool, it's now three straight away defeats in Europe. That after a shock 2-0 defeat to Red Star Belgrade. And there may be some respite this Sunday as the worst defence in the Premier League comes to Anfield with the visit of Fulham. But after the international break, Liverpool's fixtures read Watford away, PSG away and then Everton at home in the Merseyside derby. Paul, from a, a City perspective then, a Manchester City perspective, uh, is there a sense that Liverpool are, are sort of teetering a little bit? A, a little bit, yeah. I, you know, it's there's still only a two-point gap, so it's not a huge difference in, in terms of the points between them. Um, and as you say, you know, following this weekend, I think if, if Liverpool put eight players out, they'd probably beat them quite convincingly. I'm just disappointed because I, I really thought Fulham would do well this season and they're, they're making me look like a, a fool because I tipped them to finish in the top ten. So, yeah, they've let me down considerably. Still time but, yeah. under Big Sam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, give him more easy for the end of the season. That's, that's yeah. what's going to happen. Um, the difference with Liverpool this season, I think, is they've got a lot more kind of... A lot more in reserve, I mean, a lot, lot more strength in depth, particularly when it comes to the, the, the front three. I mean, I, I know Shakiri didn't play, you know, for you know for political kind of reasons in, in midweek. I just think he's he's the kind of player you can bring in on a weekend, freshen it up, and you know he's, he's a very good player. I, I, I don't know why, you know, I don't know why other teams didn't move for him quicker or you know were interested in him as well for you know for, was it thirteen million this summer? So. Players like him can can make a difference, and you know they can rotate that midfield as well. Now, I remember towards the end of last season, they were they had you know three midfielders, 
and they were really struggling. But now they can rotate that, you know, with after being Fabinho and etc. Um, so they, they they look a lot more. They've got a lot more options. Klopp's got a lot more options if he needs to change it, if he needs to rotate, if he needs to freshen it up. I think the issue though is maybe there are only more options if they're if they're fit and available. So well, right, obviously we want the Oxley Chamberlain for for a while, though he'll be back at some point. I thought that midfield looked a little bit looked a little bit spent. Obviously, had Henderson been fit, maybe would have started him. Um, had Keita come back earlier, maybe he would have had a, a a bigger role. I suppose if you have six central midfielders and you could chuck Lalana in there too, and, and maybe Shakiri as well, if you if you want to go with something more attacking in there, you can get by, right, Paul? I mean, that, that's basically what 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 you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I don't think the, the fixture list, you know, that, that PSG game is, is absolutely massive, isn't it? But you know, they, they've got the they've got the Merseyside derby the week after, and they Liverpool got a very good record at home against Everton, so I, I just don't see that really being a problem for them. And then you look after that, they've got Burnley, Bournemouth, United at home, which they'll kind of raise the game for, uh, and then Wolves and Newcastle. So I, I think if they get through this, you know, next next two or three weeks. Get a result in, in PSG that they will, in terms of domestic form anyway, they'll still be they'll still be in there come you know the start of December. So James, when you look at this, I mean the standings in, in Group C, Napoli and Liverpool are in six points, and then you want to pronounce the other two na- the other two teams, the French team, team <laughs> the French capital is on five points is Paris Saint Germain, and the team from Belgrade on four points is <laughs> Serbia, not one of my. Uh... Uh, it's uh, what is it? It's Kravenas Vezda, isn't it? Kravenas Vezda, isn't it? Thank you, our, our Bulgarian correspondent here <laughs> chipping in. Nothing's a given. Obviously, you've got mm. you've got head to heads. Liverpool host Napoli, and you can say, all right, they get three points there, but that might not be enough if they lose to to, to Paris Saint Germain. Yeah, that, that group is 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 wide open, isn't it? And I think you know, for all that all those teams are have you know shown some flaws, I think a good team will go out. I think there are some really strong groups in the Champions League this season. I think I'd, I'd add Tottenham's to that as well because I think Inter have been have been pretty good, certainly from what I've, what I've seen. Hey, and I was going to say, I think actually PSV have actually have actually impressed me and played played pretty well. Um, could argue that Liverpool and Tottenham, for all the kind of that they you know maybe are not playing too well and haven't been that great in the Champions League, are putting up a pretty decent pursuit of Man City of mm. a, you know, a sort of standard setting, all-conquering Man City in the Premier League, so they're not exactly bad themselves. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Last weekend, potential proposals for a European Super League involving elite clubs from around Europe were leaked by Der Spiegel in Germany. FIFA president Gianni Infantino responded on Wednesday by saying any player that competed in such a league would be banned from international football. To quote Infantino, he said you're either in or you're out. Martin Ziegler, the chief sports reporter for The Times, joins us now. Martin, just how seriously are FIFA taking this potential Super League then? I mean, I think they're probably taking it as seriously as any sort of uh, Super League rumours which have arisen over the last 20 years. I mean, 20 years ago, there was a big threat, or at the time, supposed threat from um, a company called Media Partners. And actually, they they, they were in sort of in discussions with all of the top clubs. This this is a much more of a sort of um, pie-in-the-sky scheme, I think. But it's just Real Madrid have been talking about it. But... Even so, it's a bit serious enough for Infantino, who spoke to a group of journalists, including myself yesterday, to say um, that, yes, you know, you can't, you're either in or you're out. If you go with a breakaway league, which has nothing to do with FIFA, UEFA, the FA, whatever, then uh, with the football authorities, then you cannot be, um, you cannot take part in the competitions organised by those football authorities, which means the World Cup, the Euros, whatever. Siegs, we obviously is going to say that and he'd be there would be a dereliction of duty if he didn't say that. What I find interesting though, if clubs hypothetically were to do this, right, what would happen to their domestic competition? In the sense that UEFA obviously they pull out of the Champions League and UEFA would get upset and then ask FIFA to ban these people internationally and that's fine. But then, as I understand it, UEFA could then go to the FA would then go to the Premier League and say, wait a minute, these clubs are rogue clubs. They're outside the ecosystem, the system of governance. They can't play in the Premier League either. And at that point, you'd really be hitting them in in the wallet because the top clubs in the Premier League make £150 million guaranteed from the Premier League alone. And then at that point, you look at that money plus the money they get in the Champions League, and it's kind of hard to justify Super League financially, Right. Do you have any inkling or you care to speculate, whoever represents your buddy Scudamore, how they might handle this situation? Yeah, I don't. I think if there's a breakaway league, then, then say Liverpool, for example, want to join that Super League. I don't think they can stay in the Premier League and do that as well, because I think that they would, you know, if they join the breakaway league, because it's still called, don't forget, it's still called officially the FA Premier League. The FA still has input and influence and sort of some sort of ownership on the on the, on the Premier League. So that shouldn't be underestimated. That you can't uh, you can't have your cake and eat it. I think if you, if you if you leave the official structures, then I think that that's probably it. So then, at that point, the Premier League could break away from the FA, create a franchise-based system around the country based on catchment area and populations. For example, you could put a franchise in cities like Leeds and, and Bristol, which are big enough to sustain a viable uh, franchise. Of course, have no relegation because 
to be out of the football league at that point, and wouldn't we all be living in a much better world? Oh, a much worse one. I think so. Point of view. <laughs> I, I ask you another thing. Um, I, I I knew he was going to say this, but y'all asked him about 2014 and his role in the in the negotiation with um, Paris Saint-Germain and City over financial fair play. We touched upon this earlier. And as I understand it, he came out and he said, well, duh, I had to go and have a role in that negotiation. It was literally part of my job. And you guys should all be thankful because it ensured that financial fair play became the resounding success that it is with clubs going from losing $1.9 billion to, I think, even making a profit last year. Is, is that right? Yeah, exactly that. He, he, must have been reading your exactly. he must have been reading your column, I think. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Great minds think alike. <laughs> but, I mean, well, what do you think of this argument? I mean, you can have, I think there's... Um, I think it's fair enough in in one situation that he was going out... and that was, It is, but was part of his job, and everyone knew the time. It was no secret... That if part of the FFP process was you could agree a settlement and that could be done and negotiated. So there's no secret that. I think it's the sort of the cosy language he was used. Oh, trust me, I'm doing this. I'm making it sound like it's really harsh, but it isn't really. The tone of his emails, I thought, was, was completely wrong. And it made it look as though he was basically conniving with the owners of Manchester City to to, to basically make it look as though he was taking strong action, but actually he was letting them off the hook. Hello and welcome to The Sweeper, the Times' fantasy football tips service. Uh, I'm Paddy Bombay, and in the absence of Charlie Scott, I'm uh, on my own today, but we'll soldier on, starting with a recap of Game Week 11. It was um, a decent one, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, there were some popular players chipping in with points. Man City, obviously, top of the pack. Raheem Sterling, 21. Leroy Sane and Aguero both picked up points as well. Then you had the likes of Richarlison, 15. Arnautovic and Jimenez, 12 apiece. And uh, good to see Anthony Martial keeping up his form with another, another double-figure haul. Uh, so congratulations if it worked out for you. If not, there's obviously plenty of time to, uh, to pull it back. Starting with this week, we've been looking forward to this one for a while. Uh, Liverpool play uh, that pretty awful Fulham team at home. Now, Liverpool dropped a bit of a clangor in midweek against Red Star Belgrade, but you've got to be fairly confident that the likes of Salah and Mane can pull it back at home to Fulham. Um, If you can get one of those, if you have one of them, maybe you can try and get both of them this week. I wouldn't necessarily recommend pulling your team uh, into pieces to make it happen, selling the likes of Hazard, Sterling, Aguero, because you're going to want them going forward. But if you can find a way for Salah and or Mane and give them the captain's armband, that's probably going to work out nicely. The best way to do that, I guess, would be to find a couple of cheap enablers who are going to be quite useful um, going forward to the congested sort of late November, early December into the Christmas period. Fixture congestion becomes a thing with cup competitions, Champions League, a couple of games a week in in many occasions. Um, I like the look of three teams with some nice cheap options and good fixtures. Leicester have got Burnley, Brighton, Watford, Fulham uh, in the next four. Uh, Ben Chilwell is playing very well. They look quite solid at the back. He gets far forward. And Damari Gray is fit again, who's quite a cheap option, a goal-scoring midfielder. Uh, Brighton also have a nice run of games. Uh, We've talked about Matt Ryan, Lewis Dunk, Shane Duffy, Glenn Murray. They're all pretty good value. Uh, You can plug them into your team for the next five weeks or so, start them every week, and there will be some points coming your way. 
and ditto Cardiff, I think. They've got, um, obviously not the best team in the league, but they've got some nice fixtures. Uh, Josh Murphy's been pretty popular, and uh, Patterson, who is listed as a midfielder, has been playing up front for them. Scored twice in the past three. He's only 5.2 million. So if you can uh, pick up one of those, he's a cheap player, free up some money, maybe use it to bring in Salah or Mane this week. I think that's a solid strategy. As ever, for more game-by-game uh, game tips, captain picks, more ideas every week, just get our free email. Uh, you can sign up at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football, or you can find the link in the podcast description. And we've got the Facebook group. Just search for The Sweeper on Facebook. Join the group, send us your questions, screenshot your team, and we'll try and throw as much advice at you as we possibly can. It is time now for our weekly predictions game where Gab and I pick five fixtures and and try to correctly guess the results. It is 6-4, Gab, if you needed reminding to me this season. Yes, but we also know why it's 6-4, Natalie, (laughs) after last week's uh, events and the way the likes of Wolves and others Oh, you're not over it yet, are you? Goodness. That's fine, that's fine. I'll just just make it up. Exactly, you've got time. Plenty of time. The Manchester Derby, City and United... um, I'm sure you're going to go for City to score another six, yes? <laughs> Not quite, but I am going to go for a City win. I'm going to go for a 2 0 win. Well, that's funnily enough. That's exactly what I was going to say. <sighs> but because I don't want you to accuse me of copying no, no, me, no. I'm going to say City 3, United 0. <sighs> okay, fine. That's fine. Uh, what about the game at Selhurst Park then? Crystal Palace taking on Tottenham. So, is anybody actually fit for, for Tottenham? Especially in, in, in midfield. I honestly like when when I saw that in, in when I saw like you got Harry Winks, once described as the little Iniesta, alongside that, you know, sort of vicious holding midfielder, that scary looking Christian Eriksen. I I felt I felt for my man Poch a little bit. I don't know. I look at this and I fact that Spurs have played a million games, mm. a little tired. I know Townsend has scored his one goal for the season. He did that last week, so it's not going to happen again. But you still have Wilfred Zaha. Um, so I'm going to go for a draw, 1-1. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Do you know, I was going to go for a 1-1 draw. But I, I'm denied about it. And I kind of feel, I just feel like Spurs are resilient. And, and I'm going for a 2-1 win. So I think Palace will score. But yeah, Spurs are going to come away with the win. Cardiff, Brighton, two sides, obviously, perhaps fighting relegation. How do you see this one, Gab? Well, I think you should give your prediction okay, first, since okay. I gave. I love the way this this like little subtle cheating, you know. That, this new subtle cheating. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm actually Simon Pierce. <laughs> I think it's going to be slightly cagey, uh, and I'm actually going to go for a one-one draw. Mm, Cardiff on the bounce. Mm. Brighton. They had their they had their wins, and they slowed down again. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go with with my man, the lovely and cuddly Neil Warnock, and oh. say Cardiff three, Brighton two. Oh. Oh, yeah. Now, over in La Liga. Yes. We have Atletico Madrid, who gave Borussia Dortmund their first defeat in all competitions this season in in midweek in the Champions League. By the Mm. way, there's only one team in Europe's Big Five that is still undefeated in all competitions. It's Chelsea. Uh Oh. That's if you don't count the Community Shield. But, of course, the Community Mm -hmm. Shield is just a big joke, so we don't count that. Atletico Madrid against Athletic Bilbao. It's almost too easy to say 1-0 to Atleti because that's a very Atleti score. So that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm obviously going to go for Atleti win, but a 2-0 win I'm going for. I'm going to say, you know, the spirits are up. They're going to go for two this time. Now, the FA Cup first round, of course, starts this uh, weekend as well. And how about this? The Metropolitan Police 
are involved. They're taking on League Two Newport County at Imbercourt in Isha. What do you think? I think once again, you're studiously trying to get me to give my <laughs> prediction first. All and right, I I'll, will, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I don't mind. I'll give mine. Um, I just think, you know, it's the fairy tale, isn't it? And I, I have no idea what Imbercourt is like as a ground. Newport County of late have been struggling. They haven't had a win since the middle of October. So. How do you know these things? Ah. <sighs> It's all up I'm here. It's all up here in the brain. Um, and I'm, I'm, but I'm going to go for a narrow Met Police one nil win. Wow. Yeah. That, I know. That's, I don't know. I, I have so many questions about like the Met Police. Like <laughs> I, I understand. I've been told they're not all actually cops. Some of no. them might be. Um, the police in this country is generally nicer than the police elsewhere. So I don't imagine like a bunch of dudes with guns like pitch side sort of intimidating the Newport <laughs> County players, although that'd be kind of cool, but or, or, or going to plant evidence in the dressing room or anything like that. So since we know that this isn't going to happen and we know that League Two is what, three tiers above whatever tier the Met Police play in? They play in the seventh tier in the Southern League Premier Division South. Logic would suggest Newport County. In Newport County, that, that, that's the place where they, they, they surf, right? In Wales? So for that reason, I'm going to play it safe. No fairy tales here. Oh. And I hope new cops get back to work. <laughs> Met Police, nil, Newport County, two. Just time to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. Only two players have ever played for Manchester City, Manchester United and Liverpool. Jordy Livingston was one. That was before the First World War. But we asked who was the other. Gear Brent, I know you haven't read ahead, like we said. So who do you think it is? Do you know? I don't know. Really? No. It's a tough one. I, I had no idea. If I tell I you he was a very skillful striker who played with Ian Rush, might that help you? who maybe didn't was often mocked because he didn't exactly look like a male model. <laughs> or in fact, Ian Rush looked like a male model relative to him. <laughs> he was a tricky dribbler. His first name was Peter. <laughs> His last name is something to do with facial hair. <laughs> Very in vogue right now. Do you want to guess? Pizza Beardsley? Very good. That's it. Mazel tov, Gearbrand. Yeah, he played uh, one game for United. That was in the League Cup in 1982. 155 for Liverpool from 1987 to 1991. And then six games on loan at City in 1998. Of the three, obviously, it's the Liverpool connection that would be the most fondest of all to be remembered. And Sorry, am I right in thinking Peter Beardsley's from the North East? Yes. So... The two guys who did it, one is a Geordie, the other one was called Geordie, right? Yeah. There you go. So that's all we've got time for today. Many thanks to our excellent guests, James Gearbrand, Paul Hurst, and, as we've now decided to start calling him, Marty Ziegler. <laughs> Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We're going to be back on Monday, the day after the Derby, and with the Nations League on the horizon. I'm hyped and amped for that. Are you, Gearbrand? <laughs> I actually love the Nations League. I'm sad I'm doing the podcast, to be honest. I hope we can get him back on then. (laughs) The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hey! 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 